you know, most people think of blockchains and they think of like, okay, like capital markets and token price and things like this. That's just the protocol and the token price. Ethereum as an ecosystem, as a blockchain, is basically the world's biggest shared global supercomputer that you can build applications on. You know, like you, you utilize websites, but those websites are actually decentralized applications that are powered by blockchains. You know, it's composable through a network of smart contracts. Smart contracts can build applications. Um, and that's what's so fascinating is that there's multiple layers to it. It's not just as simple and dry as thinking about like, okay, this is a token. This is the price of one Ether. This is the price of my NFT. No, it's like those are just programmable assets that actually interact with this whole giant network that is building the, the, the new internet, basically, that's built on immutable smart contracts and programmable smart contracts across different blockchains. And the real big unlock that people aren't even going to understand and when it's really going to take off mainstream is when it's just so easy to create a wallet and you don't even, you're not even going to know what blockchain you're interacting with. And it's going to be so cheap to transact. You're not going to have to pay a gas fee or a lot of gas fees. You know, it's going to be optimized to be using the best blockchain for the right application of what you're trying to do. And it's just going to feel seamless. You were just listening to Cooper Ray, a photographer, artist, and a pioneer in the NFT space. I don't use that term lightly. Uh, Cooper is one of the real uh, go-to people for uh, creative ways of bringing photography into blockchain. Uh, he eats, sleeps, and drinks it. Uh, he's inspiring to everyone who works with him. He's one of the people that everyone turns to uh, with exciting new projects from the technical side as well as the aesthetic side. Tremendous community builder, a real leader in the space. Here's Cooper Ray. Hey man, it's so great to uh, to meet you uh, on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm ex I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Yeah, you know, uh, I've I've uh, been uh, following uh, you for a while now. Uh, didn't know you before I became interested in NFTs, but then um, as I got uh, a little bit deeper in, I realized you you've kind of been the guy that's everywhere. Uh <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh you're 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 in conversation with us you're you're in uh, great in beautiful downtown brooklyn today is that right well downtown brooklyn would be nice but i'm on the other side of brooklyn almost in queens but here from you live and direct from new york city all right all right well we uh i we can't step over the fact that there's been a tragedy up there and i hope uh your your community Oof. and and everyone in the in the neighborhood um uh, makes uh a speedy recovery from it and we are all so sorry that that happened yeah it's definitely weighing heavy on the city but you know we we acknowledge it and you know and move forwards but it's it's definitely yeah. it's definitely in the air so yeah you know. yeah well um well, we're so grateful to have you here and i i we always enjoy uh one of the things i enjoy most about our conversations with people uh who are doing big things in the pioneering and doing big things in NFT and photography realm is to get a little bit of the backstory and how, who, who you are, people that are familiar with NFTs already probably know, but, uh, but I don't know. Um, I know you're a polymath. You have lots of good things that you do in different realms, but tell us a little bit about how you found your way into photography and art. 
Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, I, I grew up in Manhattan. You know, I'm a New Yorker through and through. Um, and I grew up in my dad's photo studios uh, in Flatiron. So, like, I'm always, I've always been around photography. I've never had a super keen interest in being a photographer myself, but, you know, my mom's a singer and an artist and, you know, my dad's an artist and a photographer. So I've always been in and around, you know, creativity and, and art and, you know, all of the, the network that surrounds that. But, you know, just being around these photo studios as a young guy and going to the labs and Flatiron when they still existed and, you know, meeting all these other guys who are working and, and as, you know, commercial photographers and, you know, fast forward like another another 10 years or so and me being a, a young person in the city, you know, I've, I've, I'm a huge cyclist and a lot of people in the NFT space don't really know this about me, but I'm a maniacal, maniacal cyclist. I've been a bike messenger for the majority of my life, really. And I always, uh, it really clicked for me to take, to take photographs. I felt obligated to start to, to document my experience as a courier. So through through all the seasons, through all the weather, every every day of the year, I'd be out there, you know, whether it's freezing rain and snow or you know, hundred degrees and get it. You can it's as humid you can cut through the air with a knife. You know, I was there slinging my camera, riding around taking photographs, and you know, I mostly kept these photographs to myself. You know, uh, my relationship with art and and specifically taking photographs has been like a you know, really just a, a documentation of my life and my experience, because I think I have a unique kind of uh, relationship with the city itself, being a bicycle messenger. Um, and then more recently, coming into this NFT space, you know, I've just been wanting to, 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 to utilize more of my, my creative brain. You know, I, I feel like I had been, you know, working on the bike for many years and, you know, just wanted kind of a way out and to stop such such arduous physical labor and uh you know I, I came across the nft space in the in the winter into spring of uh of 2021 uh and kind of just got into the right place at the right time and you know really saw this as an opportunity to get out of working physical labor as a bicycle courier and uh you know, I put some of my best photographs together of my experience of New York, and I'm, I'm big into buildings and architecture and the development of the city itself. And, you know, I think my, my photography kind of exemplifies that. And uh, I got linked up pretty early on with, uh, with a guy named Richard, who is the founder of uh, a suite of tools for creators to use to deploy smart contracts. This was very early on in, in his development of uh, his, his company. And I was, uh, I was able to, you know, I'm kind of abridging the story here because there's a lot in between the lines on a technical level of why I decided to go this route. Oh, uh, we'll loop you know. back. Just keep going. <laughs> You're right. We'll loop back to some of these and dig in. Uh, but you know, I, I waited a, a long time and really pushed him along cause he's a really busy guy, which now I understand much deeper as being, uh, you know, a founder of a Web3 native organization. But, uh, you know, I was able to deploy my my photography on my own smart contract on Ethereum L1. And at the time, that was a really big deal because a lot of artists were only minting their NFTs uh, on contracts that belong to platforms. And I saw, you know, a real need and a real real importance in this ownership of your own smart contract on the blockchain because this whole ecosystem is about 
you know, uh, self-custody and ownership over what your art is and having control of it. So I was fortunate enough to, to deploy my own smart contract and sell my work and it changed my life. You know, I, you know, overnight, you know, with, with being able to, to garner my network at kind of a nascent time in the NFT space, I was able to make a very meaningful amount of money for me to be able to detach me from working on my bike. And since then, it's just been this really, really incredible experience of so many doors being opened, uh, such a non-competitive ethos, and the ability to network with peers that I never thought that I would be able to communicate with just so openly and with such mutual respect and adoration. It's really just been such an incredible ride so far. And yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of it in a nutshell. It's just wow. been since, uh, I mean, really since like July last year and kind of put into into to full throttle since uh, October and me really hooking up with uh, Alejandro Cartagena and us founding uh, Obscura it has been just a, a wild ride. And I believe to be and, and inspired that this will be the kind of the beginning of the rest of my life, if I have anything to say about it and the opportunity that this space offers to, to individuals and specifically to artists in contrast to what the, what the traditional art world offers uh, as well as, you know, how, just how incredible and empowering the space is. Wow. Well, it's such a great overview. Um, thanks for, uh, I mean, the, 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 uh, technical, your technical side, I, I referred to you earlier as a polymath. We might even say a Renaissance man, uh, would not be a, would not be a, an inappropriate word for you or descriptor, but, um, uh, yeah, so I want to take um, that this overview and go back to and just sort of uh, weave 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 a little bit more detail through it. And um, one of the things that, and we could pick up any 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 number of uh, threads that are there, but I want to pick up with this idea of because I think it's so beautiful and really kind of unique to the photography and the NFT space is the fact that while you were you had a photography practice you were not plugged into in any as i understand any substantial way you didn't have a gallery representation or you weren't holding it's not that you weren't serious about your photography practice but you weren't really trying to connect with the traditional photography space as you came into nfts or before you came into nfts is that a fair statement that is a fair assessment you know, it's like I'm I am very serious about my own photography practice, but I, I never made it. Uh, I, I never wanted to make it an intentional move on my part to try to, to monetize it uh, within uh, traditional means. It just never really made sense to me. And I didn't want to to play that game necessarily. You know, and I, I really only worked on my bike because it was the facilitator for how I was taking photographs. Um, and the, the financial aspect of that allowed me to at least you know, barely continue to be able to, you know, afford my, my darkroom space and to pay for my film and all the development. And, you know, it was just really making work for me. And, you know, I, I, I trusted that I was doing the right thing and that, you know, this work was so important to just me and my development as a human being, but I never really tried to play the game of, look, this is my work. I'm producing work. And, you know, nor did I really have a, an impetus or reason to do so. It was just a, just another integral part of myself and how I operate as a human being. 
Um, but you know, that being said, being in New York, you know, you, you meet people who, who own galleries or, you know, artists or old school street photographers or dinosaurs of the street and you just see them and you get to be friends. And, you know, I'm a very street culture kind of person. And it's kind of ironic that I got into this, this like high tech universe of crypto and NFTs. I've always been technically inclined, but I sort of, I never really embraced it until this opportunity really presented itself as a, a way to kind of level up in a different way. And I think what one of the most exciting things is, is that, and I'm, I'm a great example of that is you can be non-traditional and it actually, you don't, it's actually in your benefit to be, to be humbled and to start from scratch because everyone kind of starts from zero in this space. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if you're, you know, uh, you know, uh, been a photographer for 30 years and have a bunch of publications and a lot of gallery representation and, you know, a reputation as a photographer that precedes you the the nft community at least at this point they don't really care about that it's much more about you know your involvement with with the community itself your commitment to the nft space and understanding the ecosystem and it's about this kind of breaking down barriers and being accessible and kind of being in this open relationship with uh, the people who would want to collect your work or with other artists so it's this really beautiful blossoming new community and ecosystem of of artists creatives technically inclined people it's a, it's a really a, it's a really an interesting mix and and i truly believe this is the future of the internet and a departure from web 2 and social media and you know big corporations that are extracting you for your advertisement dollars and or for their advertisement money and not really empowering you in any way and, and kind of keeping you down whereas this ecosystem really lifts you up and allows you this kind of autonomy to, to be independent. And, you know, that'll never, that'll never go away. That's a, that's a crucial aspect of, of this whole ecosystem, in my opinion. Right. Right. I mean, there's so, so many things you, you've said there that um, deserve uh, 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 some additional attention. And I, I uh, and by the way, uh, you're up on the roof of your, your, your home in, in Brooklyn, which is kind of beautiful. And uh, there's some sirens in the background. And uh, we, talked, <laughs> we talked about doing something to eliminate that, but I think it's kind of cool to, to, to remind everybody we live in the real world. So, um, yeah. Uh, it's a nice reminder for me to be reminded <laughs> I live in the real world too, because I don't know if you know, but this NFT world completely consumes you. So just forewarning, once you get, I, once you get bit and once yeah. you dig in, it, there's, there's yeah. no leaving because you're yeah. just... I was up till mid. I was up till midnight <laughs> last night checking my Twitter account. I mean, I was I was finishing an essay. I, I, I'm eager for you to read it. Um, and it I has to do it. with something you were pointing to about the ethos. You, you're, you've this word has come up about the ecosystem inside of NFTs, and and we could spend an entire podcast just talking about what is unique about the gestalt or the sort of the. Uh, the, the texture and the shape of what is happening with photography inside of the blockchain. It's not, it's sort of a combination of things I've written about, you know, it's not, it's not just the nature of Twitter and how it functions as compared to say Instagram or Facebook. It's, it's not just the fact of the blockchain and the technology and the smart contracts. It's not just the fact that a lot of the new collector base is, got tradition and roots inside of the cryptocurrency um, culture. It's, it's all of those things and all of those things mm. together create a kind of network effects that, right. um, that 
that creates the opening that was there for you, which is so beautiful. And Alejandro speaks very eloquently, and you just did as, as well, to this, uh, this phenomenon that in less than a year you can if you are if you have good ideas and and good photography and you connect with the ethos ethos in the community that's here you can really do extraordinary things yeah i mean you you just said that all so well for this kind of perfect storm that's been created uh one from just macro conditions that have existed for the last decade or so with you know the rise of social media and you know the the traditional kind of web 2 social media models of how it's just very cutthroat and race to the bottom and i think a lot of people are very tired of that and exhausted from that and not really seeing any sort of real benefit other than they're just kind of stuck in it without you know it's kind of like this other independent element that is separate from their regular creative practice right whereas now with this this kind of new environment that really allows for a different type of like direct monetization on a decentralized network um you know there's there's more room to be non-competitive and there's this really open sharing of information it's just a really pleasant departure i'm not sure what has exactly caused this maybe it's because there's people it, it's not as there's not as many people there's not as many hungry kind of bad actors. You know, I think, I hope that this ethos can still exist into the future as more adoption happens into this space, but there's something really, really magical. I mean, when I first dug into Twitter, I was like, man, Twitter, like, I don't know. And then I started reading people's thoughts and like there were these threads and there's an incredible ecosystem of Twitter spaces. It's just like these right. audio rooms, kind of like yeah. Clubhouse. Beautiful, yeah. And it's just like, just the open sharing of information and, you know, just how people are just willing to help out and to, to teach you the ropes and to get you involved because it's changed their lives. You know, like right. these people who helped me out are well off enough to where they can spare some time to get someone else involved with the promise of this space and be like, no, they believe in it so much that they're willing to give you their valuable time to be like, Hey, no, please stick around. You know, there is opportunity for you here. Yeah. You just might have to be patient and do some some new homework that like you don't really understand. And it's just not it's 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 very non competitive. You know, there's a really there's a really beautiful community morale. And you know, just to, to add one more layer to that, you know, tokenization um allows for a whole different type of community to exist. And you know, you're gonna have the rise of DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations in the coming years as well, which is really going to cement all of this together to where you actually have a community and group of people that are connected fiscally uh, through a token on the blockchain that represents the cultural value of that community. And those tokens actually can represent the governance of that specific community to influence its direction and shape uh, where it goes based on its vision which is, I think, one of the most exciting things. And then because you're in a decentralized environment, you can swap these tokens of the community that you're part of for Ether or a stable coin at any time on a decentralized exchange. Um, it's just, it's really something. And that's something that's very novel and still developing and going to go through a lot of growing pains. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, regulatory concern that kind of stunts a lot of growth in that. But you've already seen this be award huge value to people. And it's just another layer on top of, 
you know, NFTs is, you know, an NFT is an ERC 721 token, meaning that like that token is unique or an ERC 20 is like a supply of tokens where every one token is identical to another and operates more like a, like a security almost, but it doesn't have any sort of uh, purview from the SEC and can actually directly, you know, you could get like an airdrop of tokens just from holding an NFT. You could buy someone's NFT and then be awarded, you know, a certain amount of value in an ERC 20 token just for holding that, just for holding that NFT or even get, free nfts just from holding that nft so it's it's really just a new it's a new tool in a new decentralized economy of programmable money and tokens and art and anything that you can represent an nft with yeah i mean do you you uh you have done what happens with me and all my friends when we get when we start talking about it. you've just done it you 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 you, <laughs> you opened up you know you when you take it to the next layer and the next layer of web3 and the de decentralized economy you open up um uh there's a great scene um uh, in Ghostbusters, where he, you know, he goes to the fridge and he opens it up and he sees something die, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it could also be not a monster, but you could open the fridge and there's the Grand Canyon in there, you know. And that I, there, that experience for most of the people from the traditional art world or who have not yet uh, uh, done more than just dip their toe into it, it it usually has the result not of their eyes glazing over, but that it's just very hard to track all of that, right? There's you're there's yeah. a, there's a lot of uh, technical um, a lot of technical specialized terms it's it's its own language you know there's a it's completely its own culture it's its own language and that can be very off-putting most people only speak one language because they, they you know they uh, they don't enjoy that awkward phase of potentially embarrassingly uh saying something hello to the dogs in the neighborhood hey dogs <laughs> no i completely agree with yeah. you bill and, yeah. you know i was refraining from saying anything no. technical to try to keep uh -huh. it as high level yeah as possible but you know i, I one phrase it, it's it's a lot of cumulative information you kind of need like a base knowledge right to operate in the space and understand and it is a hurdle because there's a technical hurdle for onboarding to even operate like in a basic capacity and it's a challenge and it's a hindrance to actually adoption of this space. And this is something that a lot of smart people are really working on to make it to make it more more easy right. to understand and to get involved. Right. But, you right. know, I like to one of my favorite analogies is you know trying to learn about Web3 is like trying to drink from an open fire hydrant. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. just it just yeah. is not really effective, you know, and even if you dedicated and it's important to remember this, even if you are really adept and you're really good at understanding this stuff, if you dedicate all of your time, there's still way too much to keep up with if you're trying to keep up with this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's, yeah. You're still not going to cover everything. Yeah. So it's really yeah. helpful to try to isolate these different areas that you want to focus on for specifically what you're trying to accomplish within this space. And if you're trying to just get into it as a photographer and want to dip your toes in the water, Right. You know, you know, there's a whole different kind of set of things, but you, and you don't have to talk about all the technical terms and all of this. You can try to isolate it. Right. But there's not really any sort of real guide or, you know, way to understand where to even start. So I completely right. relate to how this is overwhelming for someone. Right. Especially well, for an artist who might not yeah. have a lot of technical know-how. Um, or but and, the good news with that go ahead, is sorry. that there go are ahead. a lot of people who are willing to help you on an individual basis. All you really got to do 
is just try to identify these communities and just kind of jump in and just start having conversations with people. And you'd be so pleasantly surprised about how at how friendly and open people are to helping you to get to that next step of what you're trying to understand or what you need to do to get involved. I'm so glad you said that. And that is, that has completely been 100% my experience. The minute that I began to listen to other podcasts, I began to be active on Twitter and connect. I have not, I've not found, I've found really a beautiful collaborative community interested in bringing everyone along because they were in the same boat that, you know, a year ago, they were in the same boat that I'm in now. And you and I were, you and I were talking earlier um, about the, before we went on air uh, about the fact that it's uh, it's part of the beauty and the excitement of the experience of being a part of something that's new and developing. And we are just keeping our fingers crossed and working. I see everyone working to be sure that this, that this culture of collaboration and mutual support and openness continues on as more and more people come into the space. Uh, right, right. I think that's critical. And and we talked and we will talk that in more be. detail about DAOs later. I think that could be part of the the solution to that. Uh, and there there may be other things. And I want to talk about that. You know, and you can call something a DAO or just an on yeah. like a you know an a, a community that yeah. is just a, a more a more in depth community that you can be part yeah. of. You know, yeah. a, a DAO is a nice way to kind of encapsulate like a lot of people, but it can also just be you know a Discord server or a Telegram group with your friends, and you can help people out and answer your questions. Right. But these bigger kind of emerging uh, online communities, specifically within the photography world. You know, and not all of them are DAOs, but some of them are DAOs. You know, Obscura is aiming to become a DAO. That's one of our core missions from founding is that we are we are a platform and we are a community that is, you know, wants to offer people, offer artists opportunities and commissions and grants and education. But at the same time, you know, I think it's it's as stewards of this space, you know, and, and me being, a you know, a founder of a Web3 community. You know, talking to other founders of Web3 communities or other DAOs, it's our responsibility to keep up this ethos and to keep this kind of, you know, to keep this sentiment alive within the space in case it ever departs, you know, from the space at large to where they will, it will always exist within these communities that are, are more niche and specific to, say, photography and art or to, to DeFi you know, any other kind of niche, these, these, these network communities that are really just connected by NFTs as tools are the, are the things that are really going to thrive in the long term if they can survive. Right. And, um, and your efforts, uh, Alejandro's and so many others inside of the DAOs that you're part of, uh, offer a um, an organized way, maybe maybe even a systematic way of trying to maintain that ethos. And I want to I want to open up in a, in a bigger conversation your connection with um, with DAOs and particularly with Obscura that is doing so many great things. But before I do that, I want to take you back to the beginning because a major value there's so many that you bring to this conversation and to our podcast and our listeners uh is your you as a photographer 
as a Manhattan lover, <laughs> as a bike courier, <laughs> you know, there was that moment when you looked inside of what Richard, the toolbox he was sharing with you, you looked inside of that technical side and suddenly you could see a pathway. And I want to take you all the way back that maybe about a year ago when that happened. And I want you to really, in a granular way, just tell me that story. How did you connect with Richard? What was the connection? And how did you, how did you find your way? Because it was like, uh, uh, it was like that moment, you know, where you click your heels together and suddenly you're not in Kansas anymore. And <laughs> I, I'm fascinated by that. How did that unfold? You know, I think everyone's journey is going to be a bit different in this space. And you really have to have, you know, uh, you have to be hungry to learn. I don't think there's any way into this space without being able to afford yourself at least some time commitment on a weekly basis to simply learn the lay of the land. Because that's really the first step is trying to identify where you can fit in and, and interact with other people. I think that's the core of why my experience was helpful is because I was able to find my way in to a community of people that were, you know, collectors as well as builders and artists within the space and then really be able to intentionally kind of really dig and, you know, identify kind of where I wanted to fit in. You know, I guess to, to, to bring it back a little bit, you know, I my goal was I need I want to sell my photography as NFTs. Right. But, you know, even if you I think that the market is very different from when it was than when I got in. And if I think if I were to get in now, I wouldn't see the same sort of ease of financial opportunity. I think that that boat has not that ship has not sailed yet, but it is definitely, you know, it's definitely come you know, undocked and is starting to leave the harbor because the cat's out of the bag. There's a lot of people that are seeing the opportunity within this space and it's harder and harder to be seen. I think that's just a really important disclosure is to set realistic expectations that it is not just a gold rush and you can just, you know, sell NFTs and make a lot of money. I think that trying to identify like where you fit within the broader ecosystem and community and helping others is actually how you can help yourself and get people to then support your your artwork and your creative practice. But to back up a little bit, my story is specifically, you know, I was able to come into a community of people that allowed me to then, you know, do a lot of personal outreach of like, hey, help me out. You know, I, you just have to solicit people, not like, hey, sell my work. This is my work. I want you to see it. I want you to buy it. Just trying to understand how you can just, you know, get a wallet set up how you can have your security not locked down, how you can actually deploy yourself your own smart contract and how you can mint those tokens. I think just getting a presence on chain is the first step, you know, like is learning, just doing a certain amount of personal education and digging. And you have to have the time to afford yourself to do that. Hmm. If you're not committed to the space and if you can't prove that you're committed to the space in a long-term capacity, people aren't going to support you. I think that's just sort of a really important understanding to have within this space is that you have to be providing value to the space itself for the the ecosystem to then reciprocate back to you. And this is a changing goalpost. This, this changes constantly. You know, one of the things that I identified early is that 
okay, when I, I was lucky enough timing wise that I got in kind of at the very tail end before there was really any photography going on on chain. There was a handful of photographers, really not a lot of people. Everyone was utilizing OpenSea and it's just so easy to just create a MetaMask wallet and go on OpenSea and you create a collection and you mint your photos. And there it's called what it's called the lazy mint. And you go and mint these tokens, so to speak. But then I, I, I dug in a little bit. And this was my first aha moment that I personally had in the space and utilizing kind of how my brain works. As I looked at the details of the token after I minted my very first NFT, right. my favorite photographs, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the building porters of the, of the Empire State Building, oh, nice. standing on one of the, the terraces of the Empire State Building, looking down at him, standing alone on this terrace. Hmm. And it's just like, what is this guy doing there? Would, right. like, it, you know, it's just one of my favorite photos. I was, I was like, this is the first NFC I'm going to mint. And I looked on OpenSea and I opened details, right? And you can hmm. see every, the blockchain is completely transparent. You can see everything that goes on. And I thought, okay, I mint my NFT and I go to click details and I click on the token ID, which represents that individual token on the blockchain. And it opened up this page on Etherscan, which looked like the fucking matrix. Like it looked like hieroglyphics, man. And I was like, what the fuck am I looking at? And I was like, why are there 56,000 other transactions on this? What, where is my token? And I was like, what is going on? And it really made me question, like, well, what is OpenSea? What am I minting? Right. And this was my very first kind of my own personal alpha of the direction that I decided to personally take is that, wait, what is a smart contract? What is my collection on OpenSea? Is my collection, is my collection mine? And I found out very quickly that it wasn't actually even minted. It was lazy minted. And the asset, the image asset was only stored on their server. And it didn't actually exist until someone actually bought it. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I looked into like, well, how can I make my information more permanent? You know, one of the big uh, draws for me personally, not even from a financial perspective, is just the immutability of the blockchain. It's like if I mint an image on the blockchain as an NFT, it lives forever on that blockchain, right? Right. And I want it to have the provenance of me as an artist. I want someone to go to that and be able to see, oh, this belongs to Cooper Ray, not to go into this giant, you know, ocean of the, all of these other random tokens that have nothing to do with my artwork. So I realized very early on that I had to have my very own smart contract on the blockchain to have my own provenance as an artist. Mm. Um, and it's a permanent record when that, you know, when that contract is deployed, there's a date on chain of that transaction hash that I deployed right. my contract called Cooper Ray or my project in particular was called city blocks. This got this, this body of work and all of my tokens live on my very own smart contract. My wallet address owns that smart contract and I control everything about it. Hmm. It has nothing to do with OpenSea. It has nothing to do with any platform. This is a big misunderstanding and a really big information hurdle for people. OpenSea is really just an, in, is an index. It has nothing to do with your presence on chain. The blockchain itself is what holds all the information. Any platform is just displaying this information and pulling the information from the blockchain itself.
Hmm. And that was a big aha moment for me early on in my learning process of like, wow, I need to have my own on-chain presence. And I was, when I dug in a little bit more, I was really surprised that there were actually maybe a, a handful, like I could count them maybe on one hand of, of photographers specifically who had their own smart contracts with their own work minted on them. I was like, wow. So that was really my angle of coming into the space um, is this deeper technical understanding of how things are working out. You know, I don't think this will be other people's path, but this was a huge, huge, huge deal for me. And, and since that time, I have been a huge supporter of artists being uh, deploying their own smart contracts and minting their tokens on their own contracts to have full autonomy in a decentralized environment Wow! Um, and into the future. Well, let's pull, the, let's pull the car over and open the hood here, because I think you, uh, you, we, we agreed going in, we were going to get into the weeds. And so let's get into the weeds here. This is a great opportunity for that. So, and I'm so still learning, you know, this is all, uh, and, and you are the go-to guy. I talked to, you know, Alejandro and others. And they said, oh, that's, I can't answer that. You need to talk to Cooper about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm talking to Cooper. It's about true. That. I've, I've, I've actually kind of become like the go-to guy within the photography community and right. NFTs of like, right. Oh, talk to Cooper. Yeah. You know, talk he to can Cooper. set you up. <laughs> yeah, talk to Cooper about that. So every Which space, I'm humbled to do, you know, well, where, where I don't quite have yeah. like maybe the, the fine art world experience, you know, I do have the technical skills and capacity yeah. and yeah. I'm, I don't tout myself as some, some senpai or super expert on this. Cause I'm not a programmer. I don't write solidity, you know, I don't, but you know, I have an understanding of the different tools that are available and what their impact is, uh, you know, for a short-term benefit, as well as understanding kind of the long game of what it really means for you as an individual. Right. So well said. You know, I there's a role, and I, I, and you can, this this may fit or not. You can tell me, but there's a role that I, I in in my business life beyond photography, I've had a lot of uh, uh, interaction with. Um, with large healthcare systems that have to deploy, you know, uh, information systems that were, you know, tens, tens of millions of dollars. And there are the coders uh, and there are the, the highly, highly, you know, priest-like tech, technical people. But then there has to be between the physician and the nurses and the, 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 the people that are installing the information system, there have to be translators, people that understand yep. enough the code and enough of the, mm -hmm. the world is seen by the te technology priests that they can translate that uh, and vice, you know, back and forth. They can serve. Right, right. Say, well, okay, we exactly. can do this. What you're wanting to do, we can't do that, but we can do this, you know. And, right. and, and, and that, that's, th that's my delicate role of like, yeah. what I play with developing, say, this, the, 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 the entire weaving system of smart contracts that, that power Obscura, for example. You know, right. I, I chat with a, a, a very senior Solidity developer in Malaysia almost daily now talking about smart contract logic and you know what you know why we need this sort of specific type of randomization and how that optimize optimizes gas and you know how this logic contract actually interacts with our token contract and then if our you know the mint past contract which is the utility that actually allows you to actually facilitate the mint of one of our nfts you know how that interacts with these other two smart contracts and it's just like whoa okay you know, and that's pretty, that's pretty simplified too. Right. So like, you know, but you know, I, I did my very, like 
my very first like more technical interaction was actually very is was handheld through the creation of the minting of my own tokens for my contract but like all of that was predetermined like it was it was already there all i had to do was input some numbers and hit a button and do that for each individual token and it was good to go but that was my very first interaction with etherscan but like that opportunity never would happen today because you know, fast forward to last, uh, I believe it was October or November, maybe. And, you know, that that very exclusive kind of access I got to be able to deploy my contract ahead of them actually developing their business. And this is I'm speaking specifically about Manifold and Manifold yeah. Studio. This was before they had a tool to do this. But now all you have to do is have a wallet and go to use their tool and they have all this extensive videos and you know written documentation of how to mention how to deploy your own smart contract how to mint your own nft there's a beautiful visual interface to do it all and it's the best way to do it it, it is by far the best available tool to use as an artist and it's completely it's completely automated through you know a visual ui and has beautiful ux to be able to do this stuff where that didn't exist, but I was one of the first guinea pigs of using these tools that they were developing. And now I still have a great relationship with all of the developers there. And actually, what is today, Thursday? Yeah, later today, you know, I'm, I, we're, we're beta testing some of their new analytics tools and plugging in our own custom contracts to the, the things that they're continuing to develop. So it's really exciting to be kind of this role of a translator, as you call it, to where I can like on a very basic and rudimentary level, understand all of the different components that make up the whole or what you see on the surface level and then also talk with the more technical people and be able to hold conversations that they have in a dumbed down way to kind of get out what we need uh for like a product market fit or what we're trying to develop or right you know right i i, I said translator and that's true and it's clear from your description of what you're doing and from what i've heard from others that you do it's it's, it's much more creative than just saying well he said this and she said this you are you are imagining on you're able to get inside the head of the uh the the, the developers and inside of the head of the creators and you you're helping them create new ideas it's very creative it's not simply translation in the sense that oh well he said yes and she said no right it, right well, it, i have like yeah. i have someone mm -hmm. like alejandro coming to me like bro i want to do this and we have to do this crazy thing and i need it done next week and oh can we also add this functionality i'm like yeah. whoa 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 slow down okay what yeah. are we doing here yeah you know we have to be able to do this and these are the limitations here and then i i you know i play the role of you know, I can put my artist hat on and my creative hat because, you know, I am a photographer and I understand where people are coming from and what those unique needs are. But then I can actually make it, uh, you know, to I'm kind of like the middleman to try to make these ideas, the the reality to actually put into products to be able to um, to execute them on a technical level um, to the best of my ability, at least with the network of people that I have access to. And, you know, I, I learn every day. Man. I mean, if you talk to me a month ago, I would have a new skill set compared to a month ago or three months ago. I have new skill sets in comparison to what I have now in my understanding just from, you know, the, there's, there is no, there is no guide to this space. There is some ways where you can learn and get involved on a technical level, but really you just got to jump in and just do some things and learn from what your experiences are and make some mistakes. And that's yeah. how I've always learned personally. And this, this, yeah. this ecosystem is very conducive to that. You really just have to learn by doing, and talking to people and that's the best way and and it can work because people are eager to lend a hand and exactly to, and to, 
way like you making time for our conversation today and and to have a valuable resource like you i would be remiss if i didn't uh take a, a take you to get you to to share in a in an even more granular level uh what is it about you and your experience cooper that allowed you to say after you looked at the matrix like uh bizarro world that was behind the open sea where do you get the tech where do you where where do you what's there inside of your experience and your your attitude i guess in your stance toward the world and hmm. say well i can figure this out and i'm going to do ha. this and how did how did that happen well that's just how my brain works man and it's funny i'm going to correct you because you said behind the open sea open sea is really just a layer that reads the blockchain that's really okay. what's behind the blockchain itself okay. right okay. and we're specifically talking about the ethereum blockchain on layer one okay um but just to back up even more so my brain, like having my brain is like a full-time job, just trying to manage my own thoughts and what I do. I mean, to give you perspective, yeah, I'm serious, man, because it is just going and going and going and going. And I've wanted to utilize how my brain works and how I've literally been training my brain for so many years of riding, riding a brakeless track bike in the street in New York. So the type of bike that I ride has trained my brain to work in the capacity it does to analyze so many different things at once and syncopate all the information on the fly where there's life and death. All so right. I'm cut, I'm going down Broadway and I'm coming onto Canal Street, right? And I see there's two lanes of traffic coming from the east and two lanes of traffic coming from the west. And there's three layers deep of people crossing the street and it's a red light and I'm riding a bike that has no brakes and I'm not gonna stop. I literally have to analyze the velocity of every vehicle, of every person and what they're thinking to figure out how I can fit through this space. And it's breaking down these things on the fly and anything extraneous that I might not see and try to preemptively think about it. And I've been doing that for the last, for the better part of 15 years in New York. Um, and you're still alive to tell yeah, the tale. Live and yeah. kick in and I'm cool. I love doing that shit. That's my that's really my life that a lot of people in the NFT space have no idea because I just focus on photography here. And well, I, I have to bridge in my cycling yeah. community into web three yeah. because I think it yeah. can really empower people. But right. you know, you can only really do so many things at once. Right. You have but to that keep kind your of eyes rapid ahead. cognition yeah. and yeah. kind of premeditative yeah. thought yeah. of like understanding and breaking down situations yeah. allows for my technical understanding. I've also just always had an interest in technology. I've never really utilized it or flexed it, but like, you know, when I was in high school, I like, you know, built my own, you know, to one of my jobs in high school, I was just kind of skipping class and doing this job instead of going to school. I'm a very non-traditional learner too. Like I didn't, uh, you know, I don't like homework. I don't like testing, but like, you know, give me something I'm interested in. I'll learn it in and out. Right. It's right. a very alternative high school, right. blah, blah, blah. One of my jobs that I arranged through my school uh, was, and actually kind of one of my entrances to photography was taking photographs of real estate listings. And here, yeah, given some like, you know, shithead 16, 17 year old kid, the keys to like a $5 million apartment on Central Park. It's like, yeah, cool. I'll do that. And I kind of like, you know, learned Photoshop that way, right. Of compositing right. images and, you know, and that's actually how I got into shooting film is I couldn't afford the camera that I wanted, which is the 5D Mark II at the time. So I bought a Nikon F2 from, from Adorama and I never looked back and it was so right. cool to slow down my whole process and to really right. think about being so intentional about every frame and utilizing kind of my cycling brain to analyze the street and what's going on right. around me and right. photograph it. Right. Right. Now to circle that back, I was also building computers at the time. 
I built a, I couldn't afford a Mac pro or whatever it was, the tower to be able to process big raw files. So I figured out how to build a computer with PC hardware and, and basically, you know, installed a Mac OS X kernel on it and all of these different kernel extensions uh, to be able to use PC hardware and built my own Hackintosh when I was in high school. Mm. And ironically, at the very same time, I was living in the financial district in Manhattan, and this was just after high school, and I still had an extra computer, and I had my really stable, you know, you know, Hackintosh I built, and I was all proud of it, and, you know, trying to learn to code, and I was like, wow, this coding is not for me. And what do you know? There was a Bitcoin storefront on Broad Street in 2011. I was like, wow, what the heck is this? And that was my first exposure to crypto. Wow. And I was... Dude, I was this close. You can see my fingers right now, but they're like <laughs> millimeters apart. This fucking close to mining Bitcoin when it was yeah. like twenty, you know, twenty dollars a Bitcoin, fifteen dollars a Bitcoin. Wow. But I was like, eh, I don't see the value in it. And just some like, you know, shithead kid. And I always just followed my heart and my passion. Yeah. It was never yeah. about making money for me. And yeah. I was very much so like a visceral life experience kind of guy. Right. And that's right. always how I've lived my life. But there's been many experiences where I've so gotten so close to getting involved in crypto. Yeah. Even with the, IC, the the big boom of ICOs in 2017 and like the Ethereum ICO, I almost got into Bitcoin then too and almost bought yeah. in. Yeah. And then this self-fulfilling prophecy of, oh, you see it go back down. Woo, glad, glad I didn't buy into that, right? <laughs> but, you know, it was never <laughs> – yeah, right? And then you, <laughs> Hoddle, man. Hold on for dear life. Just buy and hold. If you're, if yeah. you're really just trying to get in the space, just yeah. dollar cost average into Bitcoin and Ethereum, specifically right. Ethereum, like 80-20. Right. Not financial right. advice. Don't ask me, but like no, that's no. what you should do. We don't offer any financial advice. <laughs> We're here to talk about art. And but you know, I I totally get it. And you just in the it, just in the exuberance and the energy and the dynamic of your answer, you answer my question about well, what was it that allowed you to take on becoming uh, developing technical expertise where others uh just said uh, yuck you know i don't think i'm going there i think it's just hardwired into you i have to ask you snow crash you know that book right when snow you were just snow crash yeah. when you were yeah when you were describing your experience uh as a as a bike messenger and courier that's such a great sci-fi novel it's it's really great for anybody thinking about um crypto and and the NFTs and the metaverse. It's such a great uh, sci-fi uh, novel, but it features the, one of the heroes is a, is a, is a uh, futuristic uh, courier. Nice. Uh, uh, so <laughs> I've never so, got Snow Crash, but I do get oh, Kevin yeah. sometimes. Oh, yeah. You'd, lo you'd love Snow Crash. Or uh, Premium Rush. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, uh, but let's 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 keep um, moving forward with. Yeah. Just okay, one more so thought on that too. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I am mm -hmm. a what I described in my experience into the space yeah. is very unconventional from most people, right? right? Like I I I am a technical person, and you know I think it took me, you know, ten years of uh, of traveling and riding my brakeless track bike in different cities around the world. And, you know, just me having this adventurous mentality and just so anti-technology and all of that technical like buildup for me to actually come back and really think about this in a holistic way and be interested in technology again. And I, I have like my brain, how I work is I like to understand how things work, why things work, how they came to be. And I think that's a lot of why I'm able to understand, like this is, this whole ecosystem is a real perfect fit for me as a human being, 
because it plays into all of my strong suits and what I'm able to and how I'm able to understand and comprehend and learn things. And it also ties in art and creativity, which is what's so cool about it. Um, I think I, yeah, I get that there's this interesting, I, I say, I get it. I mean, I can see it without being able to really to dance the dance. It's sort of like standing on the side of the dance and you can kind of feel the music and see the moves, but you're not really out there on the dance floor. And, um, but I can see that there is this really unique and interesting, um, uh, and I'd like you to speak to it, um, a, a cross fertilization that's happening between the technical possibilities inside of the blockchain and then what photography could become or the way it could uh, mean and um, a, and uh, impact the world uh, inside of the inside of an NFT. I'm sure you think about that. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a layered speculative question. But, you know, I really, truly see this as being integrated into everything that we do. You know, I mean, think about how like a, like a traditional banking system is controlled by very few people who are very wealthy and have their own financial interests. And, you know, it's all behind closed doors. There's nothing. It's complete. You know, it's a complete black box for how like a bank operates. Right. They they take custody of your money and say you want to send money to another country. Oh, you have to pay this fee and it takes these amount of days and you know, it's, you can't see the, the, the actual status of a transaction or understand what's going on. And then maybe it'll disappear and they charge you money for it. Whereas like, you know, programmable money in a decentralized network is completely transparent. And there's a public ledger that's reinforced by every single block and confirms the transactions of every single action that goes on on that blockchain. So there's breadcrumbs that are transparent and immutable for everyone to see. And I believe that NFTs specifically are going to be a much bigger part of our lives in ways that you don't even think of in terms of like gating IRL events, for example, or, you know, you know, I think, you know, you'll see a lot more utility even within art NFTs for more, uh, you know, real life unlocks or just more things being tokenized in our lives, you know, even, you know, more so first in like a, in a technology capacity, like gaming is a great example of how you'll have like, you know, you have digital goods and gaming environments and you have young people growing up understanding what it means to buy digital goods. I think we'll just be much more accustomed to having things be tokens. And I think that a lot of corporate entities and bigger companies will try to, you know, not educate you and keep you kind of buying their version of what they're of, of a blockchain and using their own blockchains and their own sort of native tokens. But what you'll have is still this decentralized environment that has composability between lots of different networks or platforms that's all open and decentralized. And that's really the power in it. I mean, like one of the biggest, you know, signals for me is, you know, being in this space and understanding what the promise of NFTs are and how things can be connected to tokens, how communities can be connected by tokens, not just related to NFTs, but fungible tokens as well, like I was mentioning before. And, you know, this concept of an open metaverse and an open decentralized metaverse and just how bizarre that is to most people and doesn't make sense. But, you know, you think of a generation, I'm kind of like a transitionary generation, right? Like I'm, I'm 30 years old, but I grew up around technology, but I also understand the analog things. Maybe someone of your demographic might not be as open to these ideas, or even I'm apprehensive about like the idea of a metaverse. I don't want to hang out in a metaverse, right? But someone who's like 12 years old and has had an iPad or an iPhone in their face since they were a kid 
and is, you know, buying, you know, items with their own digital currency on like a Roblox or something as a child and understanding this concept of digital goods is going to be a lot easier to develop products for them as young people and be much more accustomed to owning things digitally as opposed to physical ownership. And it's, it's borderless, it's permissionless, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a wild world. You know, I think we're going to see a lot, a lot of innovation on the blockchain and it's, it's really hard to kind of approach that topic and that question unless it's more specific because it is so, so nuanced. Uh, but the technology itself is so overarching and has so many possibilities to empower people instead of keep people down if they understand the technology too, though. Right, so. right. You know, I think the understanding piece and the trust piece and the um, the comfort piece, you know, everyone that I listen to and am talking to about Web3, you know, and there's still and this happens with every new wave of technology there people you know laugh at it and then they get angry about it and then they uh reject it and they push back against it and then they say how do i do how do i get here too you know that just seems to be the cycle for new technology yeah. <laughs> and uh um but um the idea too there there are several ideas that um are more cultural in nature uh, and i want to touch on this quickly and then i want to come back technically because i i think there's great opportunity for artists and a big part of our audience are people that are uh, curious about nfts and you know they want to kind of know a little bit more about it here meet pl uh, people in the space that like you uh that are helping to create it um just hearing your voice and sort of your you know, who you are, you know, we, we can sort of get a sense of who people are. That's important. But there's also people that are already, you know, planning. Uh, and I'm one of them, you know, I've got I've got my own photography and I've been thinking about, well, how do I bring that into NFT? What of the things I do or have done would be appropriate to bring into the NFT world? Um, so this opportunity for artists with the manifold or the individual uh, customizable uh, smart contracts and the composability of that. I, so I want to get to that, get to those technical, uh, that technical discussion with you. But I, I want to, I've got a couple of big cultural questions. So you mentioned, yeah. you mentioned that one of the things that's happening in the space is there's a whole, you know, in my generation, we used to say you're, you're 30 now, you can't trust anybody over 30, you know, so, uh, <laughs> that that's a big old time saying, but, but, you know, it is true that the teenagers, 14, 15, you know, they've grown up gaming. They've grown up with the concept of digital goods. So say more about uh, what are, okay, so there's, this is a space that's very attractive to uh, a generation that's digitally native, so to speak. Um, they're used to acquiring digital goods. Um, the NFTs tokenization generally grows out of the cryptocurrency soil. There's a there's a global aspect of cryptocurrency. What are some of the other macro forces that you see culturally that um, are drivers for the current success of NFTs uh, and photography specifically in NFTs and are likely to hmm. uh, continue to drive the space uh, moving forward? Hmm. You know, so that's a tricky question. Um, you know, I, I think it would be very helpful for an artist and creative practitioner to to kind of see this space as just another another lane of optionality to their existing business as an artist you know it doesn't have to replace what you're doing 
but it can be a very specific kind of new medium for you. You know, maybe you create work that actually utilizes the blockchain to its advantage and actually plays into the new way that you can view this medium. You know, you don't, it doesn't have to be just like so straightforward of like, I'm putting this, this type of work on chain, right? I think it doesn't have to replace your existing creative practice, but it, it, it unlocks a whole new, uh, a whole new economy and a whole new, you know, load of liquidity that can, that can flow into your existing creative business. I think that's a big misunderstanding for people that they have to put like their best work on chain and they have to sell it and like, no, just use it as a place to experiment. Just try to understand it a bit and then try to, you know, just, you know, ex take part in it yourself, you know, be a part of some other communities and try to see how other people are innovating and being creative with this novel technology. And I think that's a big driver is it's going to spur a whole new type of innovation, even just playing into the medium itself of the blockchain. Mm. And this is an interesting conversation that uh, you mentioned Fernando before. I love talking to Fernando yeah. about this Yeah, he's stuff. awesome. Yeah. In terms of like uh, curated, Fernando. And we're for, talking about Fernando Gallegos. We're talking yeah, about, yeah, Fernando, Fernando Gallegos. Gallegos who's yep. Alejandro Cartagena's uh, book editor and studio system. Um, you know, these are some of the conversations that really got me interested more. And, you know, I would, we, me and Alejandro and, uh, and Fernando and Shane Lavalette from Lightwork and Assembly um, and, you know, Gregory Eddie Jones. I mean, we were, have, we were having spaces nonstop last summer and into the fall all about this kind of stuff of the future of the medium and how it's going to influence photography itself. And I think that if you can think of it in that way, and it's just a new way to actually connect your collector base or people who would be interested in your artwork, mm. you know, give a bunch of stuff away for free, yeah. you know, like just connect with people and give them stuff for free and just, you connect people through tokens. Right. And I think if you can think of it in a, in a capacity that's a little bigger than just creating artwork as NFTs and you realize that it's a way to like, say, replace email or communication and you can actually communicate with people through their wallets. And also, just one thing I didn't touch on at all is that's something I truly believe is that, you know, instead of the wallet connect and being able, not the actual service, just having a, having a decentralized self-custody wallet is going to replace logging in with email. You're never going to have to put in emails and passwords ever again. Like Web3. <laughs> you Web promise? Th you promise? <laughs> I promise. This is going to happen to where you are going to be connecting with websites. It's a, it's a breeze, Bill. Like, I, I cringe when I have to input my, my email and password and stuff anymore. Where I, I didn't even think about that stuff before. But I'm so accustomed to inter interacting with decentralized applications that all I do is connect my wallet. And my wallet itself is my new digital identity. And I don't... I don't have to go to, uh, you know, the, the face, the corporation of Facebook or the corporation of Google to get access to my information. No, I actually own my own digital identity and I'm building out my digital identity through my wallet and through my interactions with my wallet. And that is the new digital identity. And we own our own information in Web3. That's really what Web3 means. You know, it's tokens and the blockchain. But it's really this concept of you owning your information as opposed to centralized entities owning your information. It's, it's through a distributed system. Well, and, I have you know, to, one I thing have, I didn't even speak yeah, about at all no, about Ethereum yeah. is it's composable. You know, most people think of blockchains and they think of like, okay, like capital markets and token price and things like this. That's just the protocol and the token price. Ethereum as an ecosystem, as a blockchain, is basically the world's biggest shared global supercomputer. 
that you can build applications on. You know, like you you utilize websites, but those websites are actually decentralized applications that are powered by blockchains. You know, it's composable through a network of smart contracts. Smart contracts can build applications. Um, and that's what's so fascinating is that there's multiple layers to it. It's not just as simple and dry as thinking about like, okay, this is a token. This is the price of one ether. This is the price of my NFT. No, it's like those are just programmable assets that actually interact with this whole giant network that is building the, the, the new internet, basically, that's built on immutable smart contracts and programmable smart contracts across different blockchains. And the real big unlock that people aren't even going to understand and when it's really going to take off mainstream is when it's just so easy to create a wallet and you don't even, you're not even going to know what blockchain you're interacting with. And it's going to be so cheap to transact. You're not going to have to pay a gas fee or a lot of gas fees. You know, it's going to be optimized to be using the best blockchain for the right application of what you're trying to do. And it's just going to feel seamless. Just like thinking about like the, the adoption of like, uh, like looking at your Gmail account and how you're able to use Google over a course of time. Like, when you first created your Gmail account, how arduous was it, you know, or versus like how you can actually then connect through that account to different services online. The same thing's going to happen with blockchains and with Web3 wallet connects um, and well, just having efficient markets as well. Well, that's the that is the big promise. And there's always naysayers. And I but the people that I'm listening to, uh, there's always naysayers. There were naysayers, I'm sure, with before the World Wide Web that that would ever take off, you know, yeah, you uh, know or that Amazon. I remember me. for years uh, people were saying, oh, Amazon, you know, they're still losing this, money. Uh, an op ed columnist for The New York Times. Fuck, what's his name? Uh, maybe Dave Krugman. Guy writes yeah. Economics yeah, Krugman. Yeah. Paul oh, Krugman, my God. Yeah. There's this quote from Krugman from like 98 or something of like, you know, just totally bashing the world wide web <laughs> like just it's it's child's play it's a yeah. scam people are yeah. never going to catch yeah. on with this it's yeah. just a bunch yeah. of nerds and blah yeah. blah blah i mean look yeah. at it now right what is yeah. the internet yeah we well, would not there... be able to function as a society without internet Absolutely. the big so what about this whole crypto economy is that it 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 puts users first there is not the giant overarching company or centralized entity that controls it. There's going to be various amounts of centralization as it grows, of course, but the backbone of it is always going to be owning your own data and having your own identity and control over what your presence is in this ecosystem. And that's always going to be a part of it because that's how it's built. But not everyone is going to have that experience. A lot of people are only ever going to like say hold hold custody of their assets on a centralized exchange like a coinbase or a binance they don't actually know what it means to have their own wallet and manage their own seed phrase and what that even means to keep that secure because there is no backup there is no customer service and that's what's so scary about actually interacting on chain is because it is still very challenging to be properly secure i mean i got wallet scammed early on you know luckily i only lost like you know, I mean, if I look at a market value of what the NFTs were that I lost, you know, it's significant, but, you know, it was within, you know, five or six figures, not seven figures, you know? Right. But I, it, one of the big pivotal points for me that really made me bullish on this whole economy and this whole ecosystem was I got wallet scammed. I lost everything. It was terrifying for me. I only had a hot wallet. And since then, I've become a fucking expert with security and understanding yeah. how to actually be secure with right. self custody wallets. Right. Um, well, we're going to, a lot gonna, of my friends get, we're going to, we're going to open, we're going to hold on. The, the, yeah, yeah, the, the point of me bringing that up yeah. is that the communities that I was part of, they found out that what happened to me 
And there was an outpouring of support to get me to bounce back. They're like, wow. don't worry about it. This has happened to me. This has happened to everybody. I got sent free NFTs. I got sent a small amount of ether to get me back on my feet and making sure I'm all right, checking in. It's like, that wouldn't happen on an Instagram or something. Like, no way. It's just right. like, oh, you're a blip. No one cares. It's like, no, because you are taking the risk on this technology and, and actually doing something meaningful and helping these conversations through and you've committed and shown that you're committed to the future of this ecosystem people are willing to help you out man that is that is so consistent right with the ethos of the space it and blew my what mind, we were Bill. saying earlier um it blew my mind uh, it proved the, to me that like yes this is where i need to be yeah even though i just lost like more money than i've ever had in my life like right well, that that also, and this is what I was going to say, I, I want us, because I think we are, our audience and I have a wonderful opportunity to learn from you in some technical areas that are hugely important, because I want us, we're, we're having a, this is for listeners to know, we're going to have, you've been kind enough to give us a, an opportunity for two parts of our conversation. And in our second part of our conversation, we are, I really am going, we're really going to break down and get inside of the security uh, piece of it. We should start straight off with the security part of our part two conversation. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I don't, Bill, yeah. I don't even know how many people I've onboarded into this space right. now at this point, right. like helping them create wallets and right, right. security, blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. It is a hard thing to just speak verbally. You right. know, um, right. I don't know if everyone will get it, even in the most simple terms that I can talk in. Well, what we can do, though, is uh, we have we, great show notes. You can give us you can give us and uh, uh, Vanessa, one of our producers, will put in the show notes uh, there. You've probably got one or two or three links or something that people could go to a YouTube or something so yeah, that they're prime. have you know, like between, a network of articles yeah, I give. People, yeah. But, yeah. You know, we can so, talk about just some basic yeah. best practices. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll say yeah. one thing on wallets right now. Because I really don't think it'd be beneficial for us to get super into security because it's a whole can of worms, you know. Okay, so right. Web3 is like drinking from a fire hydrant, right? Yeah. But also, you know, you think you're getting somewhere and you start to learn something. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm getting it. And then you you unturn that stone and then there's three more stones under it that you have to unturn. It's like, oh, fuck. And then under those three stones are three more stones. It's just fucking never ending. So... <laughs> Well, another artist we talked to on the podcast, Clea McKenna, uh, who is very, she's very, she had a wonderful experience with quantum uh, just uh, in every way. But she said, and it's really true, artists uh, and people are already, they have a pretty full life, you know? And so basically you're saying, okay, take that full life that you already have a hard time getting through and to, and let's add this new world that you have to discover. These three, these three new stones that have three stones under each of them. So it's off-putting and, it's also tremendously rewarding. That's what I'm finding. It's worth every yeah. every minute, every exchange I have. In you just space. have to stick with it. I think a lot of people have this like get rich quick mentality, and then it's like a gold rush, and you can yeah. really make a lot of money. Yeah, which you can. There's yeah. incredible risk involved in it if you want to speculate. But like, for you to succeed as an artist, it's really the long game. It's just about learning slow and steady figuring out where you fit in starting to understand the lay of the land of the ecosystems where you can fit into different communities and just just starting to create just like you would create for your own artwork you know in, okay. in your in your irl practice you know things take time and you just want to begin to build a presence and just by virtue of being around and being consistent will you start to see some success and actually start to meet the people who are, are also there doing the same thing and you can collaborate put your ideas together and and you know 
develop projects together. That's so that's so great uh, that we can't overemphasize that. You said something to me before we went uh, live about talking about the opportunity for artists to have their own smart contracts versus having uh, having. Um, uh, having uh, uh, a lazy, I think you call it a lazy mint on OpenSea. So say more about where the opportunity is for artists in doing their own smart contracts and why and how. Just give us the ins and outs of that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I'd like to think of this as like basic, basic 101, not like square one. Like this is how you have to start. If you're not, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. And maybe an analogy to this, it's not a direct analogy because I don't think they actually compare in this way in technical terms, but maybe it'll help for listeners. It's thinking about like, okay, like your son has just shot like this multi-day production, right? And he shot all of it on you know, maybe he has, or, you know, even as a photographer, they have, you know, a whole, you know, a whole year's worth of an archive of shooting different jobs or different projects of theirs. And maybe they never, they maybe they never even dumped their memory card off of their camera. You know, what's the risk involved with that, right? Right. That there's serious risk involved with that. Right. You have no, you have no backup of your information. And you're purely relying on one point of failure for your entire uh, body of work. So let's say OpenSea closes their doors tomorrow or they get hacked or whatever, or all their servers go down or even worse, Amazon Web Services, which almost the entire internet runs on or Microsoft Azure Cloud or Alibaba, whatever, one of the big cloud providers you know, they get a huge vulnerability and all their backups get lost. But even worse, you know, OpenSea probably has their own centralized servers that they use. Or let's just say they straight up go out of business. Um, your tokens are gone. You don't have any ownership of your contract and they, did, they don't exist anymore. You don't have your own contract to where you can just plug in that smart contract to another marketplace and do the exact same thing you were doing on OpenSea. It's like thinking of, um, you know, maybe you only have a GeoCities blog from way back, or you're using Netscape Navigator way back when, and you stuck with GeoCities this whole time, and GeoCities goes away. Well, you don't have any blog anymore. Right. You want to have something that's composable, that actually lives on the blockchain itself, not something that relies on centralized servers. Like, plain and simple, you want to have ownership over what you author on the blockchain, full stop. Because OpenSea might not always be the main marketplace. Coinbase is going to make a marketplace. LooksRare is another decentralized marketplace that doesn't actually have as strict copyright uh, and DMCA kind of uh, restrictions. You know, I think that having something that is composable to be able to take it wherever you want in an open decentralized environment, that is of the utmost importance. You cannot rely on centralized entities. And I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what actually an NFT is, what it means on chain. And not all NFTs are created equal. There's the smart contract that governs the NFT, or maybe a series of smart contracts. And then there's the actual token URI that actually holds the information, the metadata of the, photo, of the image, and the actual image asset itself or whatever the, the artwork is, right? Right. How is that stored? That's stored on a centralized server somewhere with OpenSea. 
Or if, say, you know, we use uh, with like Obscura's contracts, we use a decentralized storage, immutable storage blockchain called Arweave. It's a specific blockchain just to store information. That's it. It's an, it's an immutable storage blockchain. It's either Arweave or the much more widely used one is IPFS or the Interplanetary File System, which is a bunch of pin nodes that, you know, once you have a node on there, that information is there forever, whether someone is deciding to host it or not. Even if someone decides to stop hosting it, you know, that, that never goes away. You know, if someone decides to stop hosting a centralized server, the information is gone, period. Um, so there's just a lot of security vulnerability. There's just a lot of vulnerability by not having control of your assets. And because it's become I'm so convinced. easy to just create your own smart contract with a tool like Manifold, you literally go there, you hit deploy, and this, it, it just does all the hard work. They've done everything to be able to just get you to deploy an artist smart contract, and there's a UI to do it. You don't have to touch code at all. And then it just automatically shows up on OpenSea, and you keep using OpenSea. But the, the, the core of it, like under the hood, is actually durable and immutable and is there for the long term and doesn't rely on a centralized platform or a specific platform. Like if and you it, used Foundation at one point in time and you used their market contract, that's one smart contract that controlled everything on that platform and it was closed. You know, now they've now Foundation has actually brought forth a product where you create a collection. And when you create that collection, it deploys a smart contract for you. Which is great. They make it so freaking easy. Um, and that's way better than just using OpenSea alone. And then when you create that thing on Foundation, it'll still show up on OpenSea. All OpenSea does is crawl and index the blockchain to display things on their platform and you can approve them for sale. Mm. There's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the NFTs are and how different platforms actually index and produce the information that appears on them. It's either from their own contracts or they just automatically pull information from the blockchain itself. Okay, keeping it very practical. So if I had a collection of 100 photographs and I just went to, uh, and I didn't listen to you, and I just went to OpenSea and I lazy minted, I wouldn't have to spend any money. They would just show up there. And if somebody chose to, 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 to acquire one, then it would be minted. But Correct. what you're describing with Manifold, I would mint them in advance. So I would have some expenses in advance. Is that right? Yeah. With generally speaking, anything on chain on l one, this is the real only downside to, to layer one Ethereum. It's expensive. Any way you cut it, you have to have some skin in the game and invest some money to get things actually on the blockchain because you're actually paying for a miner to produce that uh to, 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 to actually mine that transaction to create what you're trying to do. Um, and this is on the same thing on foundation. You're going to have to pay to mint that token. Anything that you do on the blockchain, you're paying gas for it. And it's, it's denominated in Ether and you pay an expense to do it, which, you know, for most artists is very prohibitive. Right. Um, so I, do, I, I don't think there's anything wrong in creating, uh, you know, just your own OpenSea collection. But just understand it's there it's there forever. You can't if you minted a one of one on OpenSea, you're stuck there. Maybe there's better marketplaces in the future. You're only ever stuck to that marketplace if you say you use an OpenSea shared storefront contract. Right. There's no way to differentiate your your work from there. Another um, another related uh, practical question. Uh, there are just, Solana Solana hold, and others. Hold on, let me Sarah. just finish yeah. let me just okay, finish that ahead. thought Sorry. real quick. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. you know, Manifold is a big enough, a small enough team to where, you know, they're developing product as fast as they can. 
But, you know, they're working on lazy mint solutions on your own smart contract you deploy as well. You know, you're going to be able to soon lazy mint through Manifold as well in the future. And, you know, the things are developing to get those costs offloaded from artists as best they can, but in a way that allows you to be composable with the ecosystem as it develops. You know, I don't think that this ecosystem is going to look the same in three to five years or 10 years, just like the internet landscape looked very different three, five, 10 years ago. And you want to set yourself up. It's worth the investment cost to set yourself up to go anywhere that you best see fit as a creative person to sell your work or to produce your work. Right. Yeah, I, I totally uh, see the value of that. And um, uh, it does raise also uh, another question about, well, Solana, I hear, you know, other there are other non-Ethereum uh, uh, platforms. Speak a little bit about that. What are the other options to Ethereum and what's the ins and outs of that? Sure. Yeah, that's a big that's a big can of worms because you have to get more on a protocol level and understand like how the blockchains work. You know, so like Ethereum, you know, this is maybe a further technical conversation, but you know, Ethereum has the most total value locked and smart contracts of any other blockchain. Um, it has the most developers working on it to develop products, as well as it's truly decentralized, meaning that no no small group of people uh, can actually control it. The Ethereum Foundation consists of hundreds of developers all across the world and are working towards making it uh, to be the premier, uh, you know, decentralized blockchain. Whereas if in, you, you, you compare it to something like a Solana and, you know, so Ethereum has a block every 10 to 15 seconds, right? There's a new block every 10 to 15 seconds. Um, so there's a certain transaction throughput. If you think of a Solana... Solana actually has a way, way higher throughput of transactions. Like I'm talking thousands of transactions per second can go through Solana. So as a blockchain, it serves a very different purpose. Now, because of that, transaction volumes are cheaper as well. But, you know, one of the big problems with Solana is when it gets a lot of volume, it can break. Um, and that's not durable and sustainable in the long run. Um, as well as the initial token distribution of Solana was really lopsided. A majority of the tokens went to a very small group of people. So the actual protocol is not as secure, and it's held in a much smaller group of hands than, say, Ethereum, which is secured by a massive network of hundreds of thousands of nodes all across the world, and it's truly decentralized. Uh, the most decentralized of any of the blockchains. And what that means in practical terms is that it will continue to be that way moving forward. You know, we all, we all know how organizations and corporations can evolve and change. Blockchains can be similar if it's not truly decentralized. Um, so considerations there. As well as if you think about economic policy of a token and tokenomics, Ethereum is extremely bullish. You know, you could frame me as like an Ethereum maxi. Right. Uh, you know, right. you know, you have maximalism, right. which can be toxic or not. You know, there's Bitcoin maximalism, which is usually pretty toxic. But it's in pretty clear English, if you ask me, with Ethereum, because right. what's happening with Ethereum is it's moving from a proof of work to proof of stake blockchain, meaning that, first of all, energy consumption is going to be reduced by a significant amount in comparison to proof of stake, as well as the entire economic policy of the of the blockchain itself. The first step of this was implemented back in August to where you have, instead of transaction fees, that gas that you pay going to miners that are mining the transactions, it actually gets burned. The, that ETH that gets spent as transactions 
gets burned from the blockchain. So you actually, when you get a certain amount of volume going on Ethereum, it actually becomes a deflationary asset over time, which helps to further the security of the network because there's less tokens in circulation. And that there's, there's issuance of the token every time there's a block. I believe it's something like four Ethereum gets issued every block. Then something like two and a half to three Ethereum can get burned every block on average, depending on, the, on the, the, how busy the network is. But what's going to happen when there's this big merge that I'm talking about, meaning from a proof of work system to a proof of stake system, that block issuance is going to go down significantly, which means it's way easier to achieve uh, this this net uh, this net negative issuance and actually create a deflationary asset. And what happens when when there's less supply of an asset and there's more demand, and then more people are actually staking and locking up their value of their asset? There's less supply circulating and demand and supply shock and price can go up. So as an investment, Ethereum has a way better monetary policy. If I put a blindfold on you and explain like the, the monetary policy of Ethereum just as a currency, as an asset, and explain the monetary policy of like a US dollar or like a fiat currency, it, it would be like, why would I ever trust that dollar? You know, so there's so much going for these different blockchains, and it's really important to understand the actual economics behind the tokens, the direction of the blockchain, the distribution of it, and who manages the blockchain. Wow. To add one more layer to that, and literally Please. another layer, you have layer two, which is actually a mim it mimics the Ethereum virtual machine and how the Ethereum blockchain works, but it doesn't. It actually offloads the transactions and then settles them on Ethereum L1, meaning that the L2 blockchain actually is virtually free or very, very inexpensive to transact on. And that's going to be the real big unlock to be able to scale Ethereum is the development of these these layer two blockchains and, and rollups that allow you to settle transactions at a later point in one given block. And that's a, I'm not, it's really, really technical. And I try to understand the differences between all these, but, you know, to name a few, like, you know, L2 NFTs on Arbitrum are going to be a big thing. Um, or optimism, and these are other, uh, you know, or Polygon is a very common one. That's another EVM, um, and you can mint for free on Polygon. But the valuable NFTs still to this day are minted on L1. I wouldn't buy it. You know, you you pay a premium to mint it, but they also command a premium because they're secured by L1 Ethereum. You know, you're not. So gonna you're, be able you're to saying sell. L, you're saying L1 means level one. Layer one. Layer one, I'm sorry. Meaning yeah. it's like the core yeah. blockchain that yeah. powers everything. But yeah. there's copies of these blockchains. You know, like Avalanche or Phantom, they're copies of the Ethereum virtual machine, but they're cheaper to transact on and they use they're used for different use cases, like in DeFi, for example. It's well, way, way more expansive than just NFTs and artwork. Well, we are in part two going to really get much more uh, <laughs> in the weeds with uh, with with all of this, and especially security. And I think you're you're, you're right. We should start with security in, in the next podcast um, in part two. I also want to really get in de deeper in the weeds about DAOs and your experience with uh, obscura and what's going on there and your connection with that but i i want to end today's uh part uh, one with a question that sort of naturally flows out of our discussion about ethereum moving from uh, from proof of work to um proof of stake a uh, couple of questions around that one of the one of the negative comments i get um you know when people are uh concerned about nfts or they have a reason not to get into it it's the it's the ecological impact uh mm -hmm. your birth with the, the gas and the uh, energy 
consumption and um, everyone, of course, appropriately concerned, uh, as am I and you, about um, climate change and, and global warming. And so speak a little bit about, uh, and I'm still looking for someone that can give statistics or some numbers but the first question is, when are we going to get there? Are, are we there yet? You know, this is the kids in the back of the car. Are we there yet? When is proof of stake going to happen and what's going to be the impact of that? Sure. Yeah. You know, this is a huge, serious consideration. And someone who considers themselves, you know, someone who's very concerned about the future of my planet and our planet and our ecosystem and, you know, our warming climate and how we're going to see serious fucking implications that, you know, it's the elephant in the room that everyone ignores. Of course I'm worried about this. So as someone who is a huge outdoor lover, as much of a city person I am, you know, of course I want to be acting responsibly. And, you know, I think that this conversation has a lot more to do with like um, opportunity cost and what things, what benefit comes from utilizing a technology that might have like, uh, you know, some certain level of carbon emission, as well as understanding really on a technical level and granular level, you know, you can't just lump it into crypto. You have to think of like individual blockchains and their specific, um, you know, energy consumption and potential, um, you know, emissions of greenhouse gases and carbon. Right? right. So, you know, one thing, another thing that makes me just extremely excited about Ethereum is that there, you know, the Ethereum Foundation uh, put up an article, uh, a research paper last year that I can link in the show notes to you guys. That and I just came across this again recently and read it as we're getting closer and closer to this this merge of creating a, pro a true proof of stake Ethereum versus a proof of work Ethereum right now. You're going to have something like a 99.5% energy reduction because you're no longer mining transactions. You're just validating other nodes that hold Ethereum. Um, and that is a huge, huge shift for energy consumption and creating uh, you know a, a blockchain that has a fraction of the carbon emission as it did in the in the past. Um, so that's really exciting for me for Ethereum. I can't specifically speak to other proof of block proof of work blockchains and their carbon emissions. First off, because I'm not an expert in this area and I want to fully disclose that. But I do do my own due diligence and research and try to understand this stuff as best I can. Um, and it's 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 not a you know it's no elephant in the room that proof of work blockchains are big carbon emitters. Um, but you know also just in general you know, I think that in more macro conditions of just what the whole planet can do in terms of carbon emissions and using renewable energy and, you know, curbing, you know, fossil fuel production, those kind of things are going to tip the needle way, way more than some blockchain will that uses a fraction of the energy consumption of, you know, how actually polluting things like, you know, the creation, uh, you know, oil production, or even, you know, the methane gas from, you know, the, 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 all of our meat production to, 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 to satiate our, you know, how many fucking cows are producing methane for beef production for people's consumption of beef. You know, there's other things that can be reduced way easier than the opportunity that actually this new technology that empowers people and can connect us in a whole different way and empower individuals, um, is producing in terms of energy production. So I think opportunity cost plays a huge role in this conversation. Right. Just in general, as me being a major supporter of Ethereum, and specifically, and majority of my actions are only on the Ethereum blockchain, for that blockchain to be becoming, uh, you know, a, to be a, a fraction of a percent of the energy emission that it currently has very soon, makes me extremely bullish on its future into a warming planet.
Got it. Got it. Well, you know, uh, Cooper, I cannot thank you enough for uh, for opening up uh, uh, these uh, these 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 uh, uh, windows of uh, understanding into this world. You you are truly one of the pioneers, and your energy, your spirit, uh, your attitude uh, uh, is so great and comes through in our conversation. I'm so excited about our next conversation, and I just can't thank you enough, man. Well, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, I honestly, I love, once you get me going talking about this stuff, I just, I love to speak about it. And, you know, I, I, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to open up and thank you for your kind words. I mean, you know, polyglot, Renaissance man, pioneer, <laughs> that's some cool shit to be hearing. You know? Well, it's I'm, really I'm, true. I'm, a, I'm an artist and a creative as well. And, you know, suffer from the same imposter syndrome as many other people do. You know, we're all human here. And to be able to have these kind of experiences, to speak about what I've learned and what my experience is and, you know, kind of where we're going and to potentially influence other people to tip the scale. And, you know, I think it's really, really fascinating. And it's really fun for me to be able to, to express myself like this. So thank you for the opportunity. Well, you're you're so welcome, and it's a it's a it's a it's a mutual uh, opportunity. And uh, Kim Beal, who was our very first uh, guest on our show, she teaches the history of photography, as you know. I know you were co-founder with her at um, Fellowship, and I know you know Kim. But anyway, she said something I, I I will never forget. She says, you know, she said the problem with the present is it's so quickly moving into the past. She said to really <laughs> understand. She said to really understand what's going on now. You know, sometimes it takes years to be able to look back. And uh, just so you know, and our audience knows, one of the reasons I'm I, I love doing these podcasts, uh, and they mean so much to me, is a it's an opportunity for me and and you. You know, we learn things from each other in conversation. You know, some I think it was W. H. Auden said, "How do I know what I think until I see what I've written." You know, and I think <laughs> I think the same thing's kind of true for a conversation until you actually say, well, what about this? What about that? You your ideas are, you know, there's a there's a certain that we call it brainstorming for a reason. Right. <laughs> so. So the other thing I was going to point to with Kim is that she she said it's only with the distancing that happens with history when we look back then we can begin to see the patterns and then we can begin to see. So, mm -hmm. so my hope is that five years from now, you and I will over a beer or a glass of, uh, of wine or a, a cough, cup of coffee, you know, open this back up and, and look back at where were we, you know, in April wow. 2022. So there's a historical, <laughs> there's a historical value to locking in who are the players? What are they doing? What are they thinking? Why is this happening? And then five years out, we can look back and, and it'll be really interesting to see what we were we were thinking, you know, at this time. I love that. Yeah. And you're so right. You know, things often are not clear when you're in the middle of it and in the thick of it and trying to figure out. But it's so much easier to piece the puzzle together looking backwards. Yeah. yeah. Um, so true. And, you know, maybe we should, it's funny you mentioned like, you know, using this as a marker, maybe I should deploy a contract and like mint some tokens for your, for your listeners. Anybody Let's who's do a it. podcast Let's listener, do it. you can Let's get do their it. wallet address and I can like yes. airdrop tokens or something. It's not Done deal. Let's do it. That'd the be Cooper. super fun. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm, I'm all about it. I'm so excited you had that idea. Let's do it. <laughs> and then anybody who is like, you know, claims it for the month of April or whatever, or April into May, just a period okay. of time, we'll always all have right. that token and remember listening to this podcast or something. Man, that's beautiful. Send me an email. <laughs> send me an email. Tell, tell us how to do it. We'll include it in the show notes and cool. we'll, 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 we'll make it happen or you'll make it happen. And yeah, I'll exactly. stand on the sidelines and say, all I need is wallet addresses. <laughs> <All> <laughs> and right. Give me a few weeks because it's, okay. it's a busy time. Okay. We'll, um, we'll, 
we'll we'll do it. All right. Hey, and, man. You know, I want to uh, follow up yeah. with something because I'd yeah. be remiss not to say yeah. two things. Yeah. First of all, you know my, you know my own creative practice as an artist has kind of taken a backseat, which is a little yeah. sad for me, yeah. because I'm, you know, I put a lot of effort into my own. You know, the whole point was so I could be, you know. Right practicing my own art form and being a photographer and, you know, right. making money doing it and supporting myself. But I've really found myself in this builder role. And I haven't, if you, if you look up my, my like city blocks, uh, photography project, there's a lot of promises that weren't kept. And, you know, I think that's part of, you know, evolving and, you know, being able to acknowledge like what you weren't able to deliver on. So being realistic is really important, right. but also my main focus now has been building, building obscura you know alejandro and and myself are you know and also tony herrera are the the three founders of obscura and this has completely consumed all of our lives and we are yeah. spending all of our waking hours uh trying to crack the code to be sustainable to create opportunities for artists to thrive uh yeah. through using you know, uh, this new patron funding model through the selling of NFTs to be able to give people commissions and give artists commissions to yeah. be able to create new work specifically for the blockchain with their own full creative autonomy and not using any sort of traditional, uh, you know, any, any sort of old traditional means of grants and things like that. And, yeah. you know, really what we're trying to do is create this network community where the constituents of our community can help shape the direction of where we're going to better serve artists to, to provide educational content, to provide mentorship, as well as to create more opportunities to create art and to be seen and be amplified by our community. So That's I so encourage beautiful. anybody to visit, um, you know, and we're working on this too. Discord is still the main form of communication. It's not easy to understand. It probably won't always be the tool, but it is right now. You know, join our Discord. It's discord.gt slash obscura. That's O-B-S-C-U-R-A discord.gg slash obscura and that'll get you to join our server also just send me a dm on discord i'm cooper pound 6009 all lowercase um shoot me a message i'm open to chatting you know that's the best place to reach me my twitter dms are kind of a mess and to be honest i've been so busy with building obscura i can't even do my own personal learning like i like to with we this gotta get recently. you back to it and i'm we just like my twitter has been like i got the cobwebs on it so <laughs> got to get you back to it man yeah. uh community needs you and it is very selfless of you um you're very humble but it's very true it's very obvious that you're that you're 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 forwarding uh the vision for others and and uh we need to make sure that that pays off so i've been to see your photographs they're awesome and anybody listening uh should check them out and if you're collecting or getting into collecting uh, you could do a lot worse than having uh, an NFT from one of the founders of the NFT in uh, photography world, uh, Cooper Ray. So, <laughs> Thank you. One yeah. of the beautiful things about NFTs, too, is that, you know, the people who are holders of that like original project that I have, I can continue to drive value and utility to them throughout the course of those tokens existence. And, you know, it's just another programmable means to communicate, to innovate on and to drive value to people who hold them. So, you Great. know, yeah. with that being said, I'd be remiss to not say at some point in this to maybe put in perspective my technical understanding and just how my brain works. I exclusively take photographs with a meterless rangefinder. You know, that's just how I shoot. 
you know, no light meter, only zone focusing, a lot of street photography. And I take photos from my bicycle, changing, you know, my, my zones and focus settings and exposure while I'm riding a brakeless bike through traffic. Sunny, sunny F11, right? Yeah, sunny 16. <laughs> well, I, I push my film, so. Uh, I do too. 11's <laughs> minus. See, great minds think alike. Well, that's a wrap, everybody. Thanks so much for being with us today on the show. We are so grateful to Cooper Ray, tremendous human being, and so much knowledge in that man's head. Um, and so gracious of him to share it with us. Uh, if you want even more information, uh, Cooper and we have come up with uh, show, show notes and links uh, to extend uh, your learning opportunity here. Uh, you can go to Fall Line Press uh, website and find them there, clicking through from your podcast. Or come join us at Twitter. We hang out there and would love to see you there or on Instagram at uh, Fall Line Press, uh, Documentum TV, or my own, uh, and I hope you'll come by and say hello, my own uh, Twitter account is Patient Letters. And I also have a, a deeper dive uh, on with writing essays about this space uh, at Substack, which is patientletters.substack.com. Uh, hope to see you there. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in.